0: Happy Wednesday. It's amazing not to have to put a coat on. Is that the most marvelous thing in the whole world right there? Mm. When you get old like myself and Pastor Duke, you notice how I, I'm making the connection now. Cold weather is hard on old people. So it's just, it's just nice for it to be warm. Continuing on Prayer. Anybody needs some help with prayer? Yes, continually. We've been talking about the practice and overcoming the problems and the posture of prayer, the passion of prayer. We've been on the pattern of prayer that Jesus Himself. We we find some patterns that He's given us. This is how you should pray. When the disciples came and asked Him how it worked, and we've noticed the order of some things, and we've been talking through um, some patterns that we find. In the Lord's Prayer, our Father, meaning that it's not just about me, it's about our. God is always about bringing things together, amen? Our daddy, something about daddies that are just different than any other relationship on the planet. They protect and provide, they bless. And then in heaven, whereby which we're drawn up to something much larger than ourselves. I love the idea of of, of God as my friend and an eminent God and God in me and all of this wonderful. But somewhere we need something bigger than we are, something bigger than life, something like I brought you in, I'll take you out, you know, something that's big enough to really be afraid of. And that's what in heaven, that's where he is. And because of that, hallowed be your name. That word hallow, we we make that name sacred, that name above all names. And the importance of how we use the name of God. And not just a connection and you know where we combine some, some, some ugly words with his name, but it's how we use it. Hallow would be that name. And then that position that demands praise. And we get to the heart of this. The priority of your kingdom, your will on earth as it is in heaven. We begin to realize that right in the center of this we find a kingdom that has a king. It's a kingdom without beginning, without end. It's a kingdom that will eventually fully establish itself here on the earth. It's a kingdom that's currently in conflict with the, uh, the, the kingdom that's on the earth. We'll talk more about that tonight. But it's a kingdom that has already won and will always win. Somebody say amen to that. Your will be done. The focus of prayer is not just to get our will accomplished, but to get God's will accomplished on the earth. And then petitioning God, give us this day our daily bread. And that's a petition whereby which we ask, but we don't have to what? Beg. Why? Because God knows before we ever open our mouth that we need rent. He knows we need groceries. He needs the babies need shoes. He, he knows all of this before we ever open our mouth. And daddies are always prepared to give accordingly. And then we have relationships on instructions. And this is where we ended last week. Forgive us our debts. I love this. You know, the amazing thing about debts, most of the time debts refer to something whereby which we've already spent or overspent and we're paying it off. But you know, the interesting thing about forgive us our debts is that the way it works is that every debt that we have and will ever occurred incur has already been paid. It would be like you going and going to the register at the Costco, and they ring it up, and it comes up zero. It's already been paid. As you go to pay your mortgage, already been paid. Because the blood of Jesus is so effectual that it's already covered everything that we've done, but it also covers everything we will do. Now, you can get stupid with that. And there is a stupid spirit in certain certain parts of the church. I wish you could cast that one out. You can't. But there's a stupid spirit that says, well, you know, if God's got it already covered, then we Why not live it up? Well, Paul answered that question in Romans 8 when he says... What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that sin might increase? By no means, he says. So when you fully understand grace, when you fully understand and appreciate the mercies of God, you're not out there trying to wring up more debt so he'll pay it off. What you're trying to do is live a life in such a way that you're not needlessly tapping into that grace. Hmm. Forgive us our debts. That's the penitence part. And then as we forgive those who have sinned against us, God puts us together. <laughs> ah, because that's where, we, that's where we figure out if we're saved or not. You know, you could do real well by yourself. I mean, some people can aggravate themselves. I understand that. But for the most part, it takes two to tango. I mean, the devil didn't show up in the garden until there were two folk. That's good. That's good. That's he, he was, I mean, Adam, Adam was good. You know, he walking with God, it's fine. And then God says, well, but he needs a help meet. And it was at that point the enemy says, now I can show up. Because I can get one working against the other one. Great. So it only took two, watch it. It only took... <laughs> It only took two humans on the planet, and then it only took two siblings until one of them had to kill the other one. And so we know that there's just something in people that aggravates other people. And so we have to live together. It's why we have to forgive one another. We have to forbear with one another. It's what it means by loving deeply that you don't get up in the morning and look at that spouse and remember all of that foolishness for the past 15 years. You ask God, "Help me forget." You ever heard this? I forgive, but I won't forget. No, you didn't forgive. But forbearance is when we understand that we're trifling. There's a sullen word right there. That boy's just trifling. Bless his heart, but he's trifling. But we understand that it's not only the folk that we live with, but I'll just take a good look in the mirror sometime because you trifling, too. <laughs> Smile when you say that. And so God throws us together to find out, OK, let's see if we can put these people together in covenant marriage. Let's see if we can throw these folk together in this thing called the church and find out if they can continue to love each other day after day and year after year and look a little different than the rest of the folk that are colliding into each other in the world. Do we look any different than the folk that we work with? Are our marriages any different than the folk that we work with? Hmm. Forgive and forbear. But I want to get to it tonight, I want to finish this up and talk about protection, which is the last P in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now again, we're seeing a pattern that Jesus is saying, when you pray, this is the template, this is the how. So what we find in this prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples is that these are things that you are going to come up against that you are going to need to ask for let me show you how to do it so he already knows okay somewhere there's going to be some conflict because regardless of how wonderful that you are convinced you are and you are the enemy he hates your guts and gizzards he doesn't like you and he's doing everything he can to try to derail your life. And you said, well, I, I want to be liked by everybody. You don't want to be liked by the devil. Let me just tell you, God says friends with the world is not something that you really want to do. And one of the principal aspects of fatherhood is one of protection. Dad, I mean, you know, scary, when we, we scary things and somebody trying to try the door and get in the house. What are we looking for, Dad? So you know, we we get up behind Dad, and you know, we 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 get in a car. but We don't look for Mom in a moment like that. When we skin our knee, and we want somebody to say, "Oh, poor baby." But when it's time for a throwdown, we want Dad, because you know, Dad knows stuff. He knows how to hurt. I mean, you know, Dad's a. They got they got the. They got the combo to the gun safe in the house and they've they've learned stuff. And it's just like, yeah, daddy, dad, dad, dad. Fathers protect. Lead us not into temptation. Now, let me hasten to say here. We're not asking God not to lead us into temptation because God doesn't lead us into temptation. We all understand this. I mean, it's not said, lead us not lead us not into temptation by the devil, but that's certainly the Im- implication here. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we don't have every word, but we know that as a good shepherd, he's always leading us where? Into greener pastures. So God is never going to lead us into temptation. I want you to hear this. But he asked but but what we're praying here, God if there's a way to avoid this. Now, this might sound pathetic a little bit. But a a prayer requesting to be spared testing, this is D.A. Carson, a, a theologian again, may not be incongruous when placed beside exhortations to consider such testings when they come as pure joy. Now, this may sound like a bit of a conundrum. Now, there are times when Jesus will allow testings to occur to work something in us. We all understand that, right? Probably one of the most famous that we can point to in Scripture is Peter, Luke 22. Simon Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. And in that moment, we're thinking that a good daddy is going to say, but I have whooped him and sent him away. Sent him packing. So not what he does in this case. He says, but I've prayed for you. Well, I've prayed for you. That your faith may not fail, which means if you got your ears open, you know you're getting ready to run into it. And it's getting ready to run into you. But we find a promise here, but when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So he already told him you're going to go in it, but you're going to come out of it on the other side. And what you're going to go through not only is going to make you, but it's going to give you testimony whereby which you can strengthen those around you as a result of it. But saints, most of the time, the temptations that come to us are not Jesus setting up a moment for greater revelation. But it's simply us refusing to be led into temptation. See, temptation is there. It's like a magnetic pole. And we're the opposite. And we just, for some reason, we're pulled to it. Whether it's the wrong part of the channel selection that we should stay away from. Whether it's not certain websites that we know we should avoid. and They may not be too bad, but they're, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And so there's something in us where those temptations, they draw us. This is not Jesus, We to understand the difference here. But the question is, many times, how do we even know what a temptation is? You know, we live in a world today that's trying to level the playing field. And this is not just something that's happened in the past year or two. But this goes all the way back to love the one you're with. If it feels good, do it. It's why we need something called discernment. First Corinthians, the 12th chapter, talks about the discerning of spirits, one of the 12 spiritual gifts. And of all the ones that people line up to get, that's one that most folk don't line up for. Oh, they line up for all kinds of other things: prophecy, faith, healing, tongues. But I don't know that I've ever had anybody queue up and say, I really would like to have the gift of discernment. And I think part of the reason why is that we perhaps don't really understand what it is and its necessity in just how we do life and our sanctification. The word literally comes from the Greek diokrino, which means to separate, to distinguish, to judge. How many of you know as Christians it says we are to judge all things? I I didn't think we were supposed to... Scripture says we are to judge all things. How do we do that? It's not that we just have informed opinions about something. We've done our reading. It is that the Holy Spirit working in and through us is able to make that distinction between that which is of him and that which isn't. Stay with me. Deception... Is spiritual, emotional, and even natural exaggeration and confusion? deception, something that may look everything looks right, but something it's, it's not what it seems. It changes the origin, the intent, the perspective, etc and so forth. Think about advertising. The way advertising works is really what? Deception. You buy this, your life's going to be wonderful. Your teeth's going to be whiter. Your hair's going to grow back in. You with me? The donut diet. Eat all you want. Take the pill. You go, you'll be skinny by the first of February. Let me just tell you, it, it didn't work. But deception, it's 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 this looks one way, but there's really something completely different. And that the, the advertiser might say, This is we're putting this out here so that your life can be enhanced when in reality what we're saying is I want you to buy this because as Mr. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. Because the real motivation is not to make your life better, the real motivation is to make profit. Now, I don't mind businesses making money. There's nothing wrong with capitalism. There's nothing wrong with profit. But I'd love for somebody to just tell me what it's all about. We're here to sell a product. We're going to make money, and you're going to help me do it. I'm cool with that. That's real. But to make a false claim about what it's going to do, when I, when, when, and you get it home, and it's nothing like that, that's a whole other deal. That's deception. And so, but we've learned to just we've just roll with it now. We've learned that, you know, it's it's all just a varying kind of shades of you know right and wrong and, and black and white, and this is why, and, and, and the deception of temptation, which says it's okay. It's normal. This is the new norm marriage of a man and a man or a woman and a, it's the new norm you know what i'm talking about i mean we can you know we got so many states now they're they're legalizing what was not a legal substance is just just a, you know a little while ago it's okay it's legal now you don't have to go to a special theater now to watch that. You can just if, listen. It's you don't have to have a code or it, you can just click the button. It's right there. Everybody else is watching this. If you get to work tomorrow and you haven't watched it, you're not going to have anything to talk to your colleagues about. It's okay. And so temptation then becomes almost what the norm. It's you know this. It's, it's it's all right. It's just situational ethics, so to speak. How many of you know that the water level continues to find its lowest point? And we think many times culturally that, you know, we we, we continue to find lowest points in a society or a culture. And then we try to establish a new norm. But how many of you know that people are continuing to find pretty new, heinous ways to sin? I mean... Things now that another generation would have never thought about. Now the enemy is trying to mainstream. And as believers, we're looking around. It's just like, what's up and down? What's left and right? What's black and white anymore? It's why we need the gift of discernment. So that we're not led into temptation. Because what the devil wants to tell us is, that's not a temptation. That's just normal. That's okay. Let's not call sin, sin anymore. Let's call it something. Let's just call it a preference. Let's call it a choice. I mean, we're all Americans here. That's the thing that we love. We love choice. We love being able to choose. So let's just, rather than calling sin, sin, what the Bible clearly calls sin, what the Holy Spirit on the inside of us is trying to identify before we get there as sin, if we can just culturally just call it a preference. Let's, here's one for you. Let's call it a freedom. Wow. That's why we need spiritual discernment. Not just cultural clarity, but spiritual discernment. You see, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a unique hybrid that combines revelation from God and perception. You know, there's a, there's a thing on the inside of us that says, uh-uh. Oh, it might jump up and just say, No! And this is really what we want God to do. We want God to leap out in front of us, jump up and down, wave his anthropomorphic arms, you know, leap in front of the train and say, no. When in reality, what he does, he says, uh-uh. And you know, it's an amazing thing how we can learn to ignore that voice. And Christians wonder, I just can't hear the voice of God. I'm going to go and find Pastor Danelle to give me a word. <laughs> or maybe that other white guy will come, but Jim something. And maybe he'll give me a word. <laughs> and we wonder why we can't hear the voice of God because the Holy Spirit, through the gift of discernment, is, is tugging at us all the time and saying, ah! And we just say, yeah, but I want it. And so we systemically and systematically begin to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit by ignoring the discernment that's on the inside of us. Are you with me? And let me tell you, having walked with God for a moment, God doesn't get louder. You might think, oh, I just, I, I, the, the voice of God is bound to get clearer and more clarity and loud. I can just really hear. uh uh When I started out, the Holy Spirit would talk to me over and over and over again. He would get my attention. Hey, you. Huh? Is that you, God? Yes. That's how it starts. And somehow you think 30 years later, God's going to do the same thing. Hey. No. He says, son. That may be the extent of his communication. But he expects us, when we hear the uh uh-uh, we think, I didn't hear that. You know, children learn to do this. I didn't hear you. You say dinner, they can hear you. You say dessert, they can hear you. You say words like allowance, they can hear you. But when you say things like garbage, laundry, here's one that you don't hear. No. <laughs> no. I learned growing up, it was just better just to feign just hearing loss. I didn't hear you. And I finally, my parents would just get that. It was your responsibility to be listening. I was damaged as a child. So all of this is not my fault. What did I just It was your responsibility? I'll never forget the first time I missed dinner. You remember that when you're a chunky child like I was. But we didn't say chunky in those days. The word was husky. They had a special category. My wife was buying some clothes here recently. This really does connect. And she was in some store and she was buying a zero. Now, my wife is, she she looks good. You understand what I'm saying? But we've been in some other stores that she wasn't a zero. And I said, would you help me with it? She said, they call it vanity sizing. That's a real deal, apparently. So what used to be a whatever is now a zero, and we feel good about it. So, you know, let me just tell you, this 28 waist, it feels good tonight. Yeah, baby. Yeah. 28. I'm at my college weight. Yeah. That's a lie. But the Holy Spirit is saying, "Uh uh-uh. But I remember that first time I missed dinner. And we were out playing ball in those days in the neighborhood. You know, you didn't have phones and beepers and buzzers. Mom and dad just got on the back porch and just screamed for you. So somewhere between 6 and 6.30, you'd hear all these parents yelling for their kids across the neighborhood. And we were playing or doing something, and, and, you know, you heard the parents' voice. It's like you were busy. You were doing important stuff at eight years old. And when you got ready, you came in the house. And I remember Walt, waltzing in the house about 6.30, quarter to 7, and all the table, all the, 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 it was over. <laughs> Dishes were off the table. And I'm like, where's dinner? You missed it. No, 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 I'll die. <laughs> uh, I mean, so you're at that point, you're backpedaling. You're lying. He's, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. you have a watch on? Yeah, but it, is, but it broke. I mean, and so you're doing everything that you can in that moment. And they say, it'll be breakfast in the morning. Consequences. And yet we wonder, how would I wind up here? How many Christians? The tow truck pulling their lives out of the ditch, wondering, how did I wind up here? Because you stopped listening. You stopped listening. Well, I didn't know the Holy Spirit. You have little lights on the dashboard of your car. In the wintertime, I change wheels put on different tires and all this kind of stuff. And, but I don't have sensors in those wheels. And so the little orange light stays on my dash for half the year. So I've learned to, you know, I put the key in and crank it up and it blinks for 10 seconds and then it just stays on. And I just realized, well, you know, I know I've got the different wheels on and there's no sensors in the tires, therefore it doesn't mean anything. The only problem is you learn to ignore it after a while. And so when I put the other wheels in that have sensors and that light comes on in July, you're going to be changing a tire by the side of the road or waiting for AAA or something un, that you ain't going to want simply because you learned to ignore it. This is the leading into temptation. How'd I get here? Wow. See, discernment is revelationally informed assessment of a person, a situation as to its origin and intent. It separates and distinguishes between light and darkness. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. It says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, meaning it's going to look good. You ever wonder what the snake must have looked like in the garden? I mean, we think, you hey, snake, that's nasty. Snake, Ah! but there was something attractive enough about the serpent that Adam went up to it and began to dialogue with it. I don't think it was ugly at all. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to develop a new theology here tonight, except I don't think the snake was nearly as repulsive as what we associate with snakes today. See, this is, this is how deception works. It looks pretty good for a moment. And I believe our discernment also describes part of our priestly function. You realize God's called you and I as priests. First Peter chapter 2. It says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him. Listen to this. Who called you out of darkness into light. Notice the connection with calling out of darkness into light. It is a priestly function. Therefore, it's a function believers are supposed to have. Hmm. It's connected to coming out of darkness and into light. But to know that, we've got to know and discern the difference between what's light and what's darkness. And when we learn to live our lives in just varying shades of gray, well, this is a little darker than this. Well, this is a little lighter than this. How many of you know that God doesn't lead us that way. It's let your yes be yes, your no be no. It's sin or righteousness. It's God or it's not. This is and this is how we can cooperate. We know we want God deliver us. I mean, lead me not into temptation by the devil. God says we'll cooperate. I've given you warning lights. I've put my spirit on the inside of you. I want to give you the gift of discernment so that you can know the difference. Running out of time. It's a proactive rather than a reactive gift. It's offense rather than defense. Hebrews 5, verses 14 says, Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish diacrino between good and evil. Discernment, I believe. Is proactive, but it's also a progressive gift. We get more sensitive to things rather than less sensitive. Listen, we're bombarded with so much stuff, both by the world, by the devil. Let me tell you, in that it works to desensitize us. Turn the music up. Just, just desensitize me. Throw some more lights at it. Throw some more banner ads across that, banner ads across that website. Just bombard me. And we live in a, in a moment of desensitization. This is how, this is, how could they do that? Because they were consistently, progressively desensitized to sin. That's how it happened. Hmm. But then, despite our best efforts, we know there's evil. And that's where we get to deliver us from evil. And there's two evils we have to be delivered from. First is the evil within. And that's simply the sin nature. Romans 5 12, as centered the world through one man and death through sin, and this way death came to all men because all sinned. Very, very simple. It's a doctrine, it's a concept of original sin. And as as cute as that, that newborn is and as great as he or she smells, let me just tell you, you do not have to train them to be bad. They have figured that out all on their own, it's an art form. It's in their DNA. It's in their nature. Are they cute? Yes. Are they sinful? Absolutely. Do we love them? Yes. Just like God loves us. But we realize there's something on the inside. It's the evil within that we need to be delivered from. Paul, writing in Romans 7, Romans 8, talks about this concept. He says, I I know the law is spiritual. I'm unspiritual. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't. What I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. And if it's not, I longer lose. It's no longer I myself would do it, but it's sin living in me. I mean, this is a man going, ah, I'm going nuts. I'm doing everything I don't want to do. I'm eating everything that I, that I don't want to eat. I'm, I'm watching all of this stuff that I, I, I really don't want to watch. And yet I'm doing it anyway. What's wrong with me? This is not just a couple of guys in a discipleship moment chatting. This is the apostle Paul. This is the practical author of the New Testament. The book of Romans, the magnum opus of his life and his writing and his theology saying, and I don't, I don't believe personally Paul was writing theoretically for you and I, for our sake and future generations. I think Paul was struggling. He goes on in Romans 8 and talks about those who live according to the sin nature. But then he talks about those who live according to the spirit. Who are not controlled by those desires. The evil within. And then there's what I call the evil without. How many of you know we live in a fallen world? That's temporarily under the enemy's power and influence. I know this sounds like a conundrum. But C.S. Lewis explained it it this way in Mere Christianity. He said, Christianity thinks this is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel, enemy-occupied territory. That's what this world is. It's true. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking, verses 30 and 31. He said, I won't speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming And he has no hold on me. Do you realize that life in the spirit, that we can have the same testimony of Jesus? That Satan has no hold on us. No hold. Romans 8 talks about personal victory over the war within. But Ephesians 6 talks about victory of the war without. It talks about the armor of God, verses 10 through 18. That a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Deliver us from evil. And many times, despite the best way that we attempt to live our life, we still find ourselves in these moments. My wife and I and our family, <laughs> in many ways, it's more do, don't, do, just, just don't do what we did. I can help you not do that. So I'm not standing here as any kind of a paragon of how to do life, except to say this, is that the, evil, the, the, the devil is an equal opportunity tormentor. And many times it was in the midst of doing everything right that we knew to do right that the enemy still found a way through and a way in. You with me? Yeah. Just getting it all right and working all the checking all the boxes is no guarantee. Jesus said himself, what? You're going to have trouble in this world. Yeah. This is to deliver us from evil part right here because we find ourselves many times upfront and personal with it could tell story after story after story, and not about sin and failing, but against coming up against these powers and authorities that are spoken of in Ephesians chapter 6. But God has given us the victory. Protection, last part of the prayer. God, lead us not into temptation by the devil, but deliver us from evil. Let's cooperate with that prayer let's pray Lord Jesus help us tonight Lord let us learn to hear better you say in the book of Job that God is always speaking though man may not hear it and God we know that through your spirit through the gift of discernment that you are speaking to us and saying uh uh-uh. uh. Step back. Step off. Allowing us not to get into debt. Not to, quote, fall into sin. Because you were there saying, there's a ditch, son. Change direction. Change course. Step off to the left. Activate that on the inside of us, God. But we don't spend our life constantly being pulled out of the ditch by your grace and your mercy. But we can live life in such a way through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Deliver us from evil. God, that in spite of our best efforts in right living, that there are times that we're just faced with evil. Because we have an enemy who's a squatter, a rebel. And he's, re- he's read the end of his story and he doesn't like it. He's mad. So God, thank you that you've given us weapons of warfare. As stated in Ephesians. God, let us put on the full armor of God. So that when that day comes, we can stand and withstand whatever is thrown against us. God, in this moment, I pray for every man and woman in this room who is under such an attack right now. They've taken a senses of their lives. They've repented of everything they know what to repent of. And yet they still find themselves in the onslaught of the devil. Oppression, depression, sleeplessness, night terrors. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you that you are the God that turns all of that back and aside minister to those men and women in this room right now right now we say no in the name of jesus the name that is above all name of a name authority that is not questioned we say no to what we should say no to and yes to that which we should be agreeing and god teach us the difference between those two things in jesus name we pray amen Amen. Bless you, church.